welcome to the Sacred City Life podcast. This is your host, Pastor Justin Dean. And this podcast is all about helping you follow Jesus and the everyday normal rhythms of life. And I've got three dudes with me to get today on the podcast. Men, would you introduce yourselves? How's it going, Alex Tate, Sacred City Youth Director? Sam Schmidt, pastor in Sacred City Moline. Kevin Knorr, biblical counselor. All right, thanks for being with us today, guys, and thank you for listening. We do value you, and we're thankful for you. Um, just, man, every time I hear that you guys have been blessed by one of our podcasts, it just really encourages me. So thank you for listening. What we are currently doing is we're working our way through, kind of chapter by chapter, uh, Donald Whitney's book, The Spiritual Disciplines of the Christian Life. And sometimes those words, you know, we don't like to put those words together, spiritual and discipline. Many times when somebody thinks something is spiritual, they think, um, therefore, it's since it's spiritual, it requires no discipline. It should just happen. And that's actually not the case. Uh, Paul tells us in Ephesians 2 that when we, even though we've been predestined from the, before the foundations of the world, that we were predestined for good works, mm-hmm. that God had predestined us to do certain things. And so we're kind of unpacking one at a time. What are those things that we are required by God to do that are spiritual and yet they, they um, you know, they're, we do them in the physical world, right? Mm-hmm. And this week we're coming to the discipline of evangelism. So I would just, you know, kick this over to Sam real quick here. What, what Sam, what is evangelism? Yeah, evangel means gospel, uh, or good news. And so when we are evangelizing, we are good newsing people, sharing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, and it's a, it's a call that all Christians have received um, to make the good news of the gospel known um, where they are and, and abroad. Um, and so we're just trying to get the message of Christ out, sharing it as we go on our way. Okay, so that was a great definition. Why or where where would we go? You said that Christians are required or Christians, this is something that Christians should be doing. Where at in scripture would, would you guys go to, to to point to that fact? Yeah, I think most simply, we think the Great Commission, right? Matthew 28, um, starting in verse 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, right? So yeah. it's an explicit, hey, go and do this. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, we we just a couple weeks ago preached through the woman at the well, and you see this before the Great Commission is given. You see this natural impetus in this woman who comes to Jesus. She receives, she gets good news in, the, in Sam's terms. She, she gets this good news. He tells her everything he knows about, or she that you know. He tells her everything about her, herself. Basically, he offers her living water, which is to satisfy her the deepest longings of her soul. She takes that. She receives that as good news. And what does she do? She tells everybody. She tells everybody. She goes back into town, tells everybody, and then, and basically, she says, and this is part of her, her evangelistic message. Do you know what it was? you remember? Come and see this man who told me everything I ever did. Yeah. So three words, really. Come and see. Yeah. Come and see. 
So there, there is an aspect of evangelism that is, of, of course, we want to be able to share the gospel with somebody. And, but that's not the only aspect of evangelism. And when people focus on, I've seen really people get really twisted up and bent out of shape when they're always trying to focus on how do I share the gospel with this person, right? And they're trying to cram a gospel conversation into a workplace conversation or an athletic or gym, you know what I mean? And they're like, how do I cram this thing in? When this woman, her message is as simple as they come. She just said, hey, come and see this dude who changed my life. Yeah. Right? And so that, that is evangelism as well. Mm-hmm. Right? Just come, come and see. And I think when you think of it like that, I mean, most people, I was going to say all of us, but that's, I've lived long enough to know that's not true. Most people are pretty natural evangelists about the things that they like. Yeah, definitely. But I think what was important with the, you know, with this lady is like she was no theologian, right? I mean, she said that she didn't have all the words to say. Um, She literally just said, come and see, right? When we we taste this great drink from whatever coffee shop, you know, sometimes you can't even explain it. You're just like, here, taste this. It's so good. Like, just just taste this. Get in on this. And that's that's what she was doing right there in that moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So... Step one to evangelism is have an encounter with Jesus. Amen. An encounter that changes you in such a way that you're actually excited about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Because obviously if you go to that crappy coffee shop and you drink, you drink the coffee that tastes like cigarette ashes, mm-hmm. you ain't going to go tell nobody about it. And, and yeah, you ain't telling nobody and about it. And so many people just haven't had a life-changing ch- encounter with Jesus. And if you say, why don't they... Why aren't they evangelists? Because they haven't tasted and seen that he's good. Mm, yeah. And I think this brings you back to one of the reasons why Sunday worship is so important and just your regular rhythm of, of worship. It's because every time you confess sin, receive God's grace, it, it rekindles that fire, that excitement of the mercy that you received, this changed your life. And I, I would say that if if evangelism is lacking in your life, it probably means that the gospel just gets smaller and smaller. It's not as glorious in your eyes as it should be. And when the gospel is glorious, it, it is like that great cup of coffee, mm-hmm. great restaurant, whatever it is, it's going to drive you out and tell people about people, uh, about Jesus naturally. Mm-hmm. Um, and so keeping the gospel in the frontlets of our eyes is really important for the sake of, of being effective evangelists that we actually want to do it. Yeah, and I, jumping right off of what you're saying there, staying aware of my need for Christ Mm -hmm. because the confession, when we're confessing our sins, we're being reminded that we are sinners, that we still need grace, that we, that we've broken God's commandments and that we deserve judgment, right? Mm -hmm. We're reminded of that. And then we're reminded of the gospel that through Christ, we can have the complete total forgiveness of our sins and be adopted into the family of God and be called sons and daughters of, of the God, of, of the father. Right? right. And when I specifically people that have came to church or went to a camp or whatever, they, they came to faith one time and it, it looks like they come to faith, but then they don't go to the gathering. You naturally lose your awareness of your sin what some theologians call the sinfulness of sin, like 
the depravity, the darkness, the depth, that it goes to every part of me, even the so-called good parts of me, sins affected me. And when you become, in your mind, a smaller sinner, Jesus, in your mind, becomes a smaller Savior. Yeah, you're talking about the cross chart, gospel-centered life, right? As, a, as I grow in the gospel, my awareness of my sinfulness increases. It's not that I become more sinful. Hopefully it's, it's you're being sanctified and you're not sinning more than you are, but you realize just how deep sin goes. At the same time, you're simultaneously becoming more aware of God's holiness and his grace towards you in Christ. And that, that really does fuel mission and fuels evangelism. You think uh, you can hit on, um, you said the first thing you have to do is have that encounter. Like, can you break down like what that encounter is and what that looks like? Because, um, you know, some people may feel like they had an encounter, but it's just a feeling, yeah. you know? Yeah. I think the, the encounter is when you've brought your real self to the real Jesus by faith, or I could say the real Jesus has brought himself to you and you have an awareness of the gap, the chasm between you and Jesus, the holiness of God and the unrighteous and your own unrighteousness. And instead of just cowering, instead of running away from that, you have felt redemption. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You have felt you've been brought into the family of God and you've been made new. Mm-hmm. Well, and it, uh, even not just a feeling, though there is, there is the effectual pull, but the revelation, just the understanding of who God is, who I am, and, and the disparity between myself and God, when I see that for what it is and what God did to move toward me, to redeem me, to give his own son, um, that revelation becomes real. It, it becomes, uh, you know, what Francis Schaeffer calls true truth. It's so real, so so profound that I can't help but my whole life gets flipped upside down because yeah. of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so we see this in John. There, there's no authentic encounter with Jesus that doesn't produce either worship or hatred, mm-hmm. or repulsion, mm-hmm. worship or repulsion. You can't have a lukewarm encounter with, with the real Jesus. So <clears throat> that's what I mean. I mean, well, just, just what, what Sam says. Calvin says in Institutes that there can come, you can have no real knowledge of God without knowledge of self, and there can, you can come to no real knowledge of self without knowledge of God. Mm-hmm. In other words, I have to come to realize I'm not just a pretty good dude. That I'm, I, ha- I was a traitor against King Jesus who deserved the death penalty. And yet the high and exalted one who humbled himself and came, he lived the life that I should live and he died the death that I deserve. Yeah. And he did that for me. Mm-hmm. And there's just no way you can have a lukewarm inca- reaction to that. Right. Yeah, for sure. Right? So we could say evangelism begins with you belie- understanding the gospel. Yeah. Right, you getting in whatever sense this Jesus saw through me, mm-hmm. and I can recognize that everything I need is in Him. Mm-hmm. Right, He's the bread of life. Uh, he's the living water. I've tasted and seen that He's good. And now, just like your analogy said, the most natural thing in the world is for me to go tell people about it. Yeah. yeah. What happens? Okay, so I think. 
with, with evangelism, it probably shares a lot of the same ground with prayer, where you come to it and you think, well, I know I should be doing it. Uh, I probably should be doing more than I am. Um, and some people are crushing it when it comes to evangelism. They're, they just have a, a natural gifting that, that they're inclined toward that. And what about the people that are, you know, they're Christians. They, their hope is fixed on Christ. But the whole, it just feels clunky. It, uh, it seems hard, unnatural. Like, how do we work through that? If, if we talk the Great Commissions for all Christians, how do we invite or how do I, if that's me, yeah. how do I move forward into that? Well, <clears throat> I think acknowledging it, there is a relational aspect to evangelism. So if you're not good at relationships, you probably won't be good at evangelism. Mm-hmm. You know, because there's just a relational nature. Unless you're like the street preacher type, yeah, you Ray know. Yeah, Comfort <clears throat> or somebody. Yeah. I, I, I think Ray Comfort is pretty great at relationships. I mean, it's from what you see, like he's kind, he's engaging. <clears throat> Sam just spilt ashes on my new couch. I'm just trying not to not There's to, forgiveness, uh, man. <laughs> there's forgiveness. Bro. They were If they Sam's were cool. not on the podcast next week, you guys know why. <laughs> uh, but I see that guy is good in a lot of different environments. You know what I mean? He's 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 not too abrasive, but he's not soft. Mm-hmm. So I th- I think being good with people should naturally make you a pretty good evangelism. Yeah. Because you're listening to what they say. You're have you have compassion for where they're at. And so you and then you have a desire to bring the gospel to bear. The, the theological term we would use is you want to contextualize the gospel for this person. So when Jesus meets the woman at the well, he doesn't give her a theological lecture on the Trinity. Yeah. Okay? He just straight up says, you're thirsty. Right? And it's a term that we would understand even today. Like, because she was thirsty for the affections of men. She, you know? And uh, she, she would have been posting those thirst trap pictures on Instagram. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you're thirsty and I've got the water that can satisfy. But then when he goes to the, um, the Pharisees and the religious leaders... Dude does break out the systematic theology mm-hmm. and gives some of the most deep Christological teaching on himself, the hypostatic union, the Trinity that we're working through right now in, in, in John 5. So Jesus had this ability to read a person and to contextualize his message to, to that person and, and to bring the good news to bear into that person. Now, Jesus was the best evangelism evangelist that has ever lived, yeah. okay? And yet, he still had plenty of people hate him and walk away from him and get mad at him. And so, sometimes people judge their effectiveness on evangelism based on, like, how many people have they led to Christ? Yeah. <clears throat> and I think I just think that's not a good metric. I would be... I would be like, are you consistently uh, sharing your faith or inviting someone into your life, inviting someone to church? Are you consistently doing that? Not how many people are actually doing it. Because what we're learning in uh, John 5 this week is that Jesus basically 
sets up a mock courtroom and hauls witness after witness after witness in front of the Jewish leaders and shows them how he has basically provided good news for them in five different arena, arenas with five different witnesses, and they still just haven't believed. Mm-hmm. He, he says, my father is witness to me about mm-hmm. the, when, the, when the dove came down and said, this is my son. He said, my works have testified that I'm the son of God. John the Baptist said that I'm the son of God. Uh, the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures say that I'm the son of God. They all point to me. And Moses specifically wrote about me. Bam, 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 bam. Here's five gospel you know, tracks that I've given you. And guess what? You still don't receive me. You still don't want me. Why don't you want me? Mm-hmm. You know, like that's, and ultimately, because they wanted the praise that comes from man and not the praise that comes from God. Mm-hmm. They were still about, in other words, every human being is so self-absorbed it takes the divine interruption of the Holy Spirit to get them out of their self-absorption to actually want the Son of God, yeah. right? Because the Son of God is going to lead us to a selfless life. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily leading us to what we want. It's going to lead us to a cross, ultimately, which will mm-hmm. end in glory. So I think many people get discouraged with their evangelistic um, success rate, you know? And it's like, mm-hmm. man... If, if Jesus, if we judge Jesus by that same standard, you know, the best one that ever lived and he had 12, 11 apostles when he got done, yeah. you know, I, I think for a lot of people, when you look at it, um, they think of, um, you know, sharing the gospel, you got to be on a, some street corner or you got to be some massive big personality type person. Um, but when you really look at it, are you being intentional with your everyday life? Mm-hmm. And when you look at Jesus and we're supposed to be more like Christ, he was walking everywhere and he was very intentional about what he was doing and where he was going and when he was doing it. So if you were going to the grocery store, are you going to the same grocery store, going to the same clerk? Are you going to the same gym? Are you going to the, the same coffee shops and be able to engage with people where you, you're able to share the good news? And that's when you look at it, it's loving your neighbor. Are you being loving to your neighbor? Yeah. So that's kind of the identity we have as missionaries that we yeah. When we think of how Jesus called his disciples, one of the first things he said to most of them was, come follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. Mm -hmm. I'll make you an evangelist. I'll make you a disciple maker, right? And in order to to live that way, we have to, first off, remember our identity as disciple makers, as missionaries, Mm -hmm. that wherever we're going, God is sending us there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I always come back to that Tim Keller quote of God's like a spiritual t- tornado. He never brings you in without the intention of sending you back out, yeah. leaning into that missionary identity. <clears throat> so it's not necessarily evangelism uh, isn't necessarily something I do. I, I am a missionary, therefore the rhythms that flow are to share the gospel. It's to talk about Jesus. And I think what you were talking about with the success, like how do we measure successful or faith, you know, successful evangelism, obviously we want to see a harvest. We want to see fruit come from that. Um, but just being faithful, keeping your hand to the plow, consistent sharing. Um, I think of the four soils of, of the faithfulness of the planter, of the, of the farmers, is that he continues to scatter the seed. Ultimately, the Lord's going to determine what seed takes root. It's going to be good soil, a heart that's ready and primed to receive good news. It's not going to be resistant like you see with the Pharisees. 
or even the, the guy that was healed that was, I don't know, I still sometimes don't know what to do with that guy later on after the Samaritan woman, but where he, he doesn't have that initial, he doesn't seem like good soil, but the faithfulness of, of sharing the gospel and, uh, and God blessing that work as he chooses to do so. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I think, like you said, the farmer there, he's just liberally sowing seed wherever he can. I mean, it's hitting on rocks and it's hitting on stony ground. It's hitting mm-hmm. all these different places, but he's just sharing. And that would bring me to another aspect of evangelism that I think can easily be lost by Christians who have been Christians for a long time. And that's just the humility. The humility that it takes to share your life with an unbeliever. <clears throat> I think it's Paul in the Gospels, maybe it was Thessalonians, I can't remember where he said, not only did I want to share the gospel with you, but I wanted to share my very life with you. Mm-hmm. And the longer you become a Christian, you are being sanctified, you are coming to hate your, your sin, and in a sense, quote unquote, the world, um, more and more. And so you can get isolated in a Christian community and you can begin to not want to interact with, you know, unbelievers, not, you can become repulsed by them. You can become, um, and what sometimes can happen is we, we're so used to having the truth and living in quote unquote the way or, or the right way that we lose sight of our own sinfulness, our own weakness, our own need for Christ. And therefore we don't open ourselves up to actually live our life with unbelievers. Mm-hmm. So in a sense, we're always looking down on them and not um, creating space where we could welcome them in. We could share some of our weaknesses, some of our struggles, some of our difficulties we can remind them of the good news. We're just so infatuated with being right or being holy or being whatever that we just don't share the gospel. And, and, and why I said it requires humility <clears throat> is because interacting with an unbeliever, man, you never know how it's going to go. Mm. They might reject you. They might hate you. They might make fun of you. Um, you might say the wrong thing. And so I can much rather prefer to be Bible answer man that people in my missional community look up to because I have all the right answers and I then go in to talk with my neighbor and my neighbor makes me feel stupid, mm. right? Um, so I think, and it's sometimes, sometimes it takes humility too. I'm gonna have to make a big statement here. Some of the most proud people I've ever met have been quiet and reserved people who don't want to ever share their opinions, don't want to ever share. It's like if they keep it to themselves, they won't ever look stupid or something. And, you know, when when you're humble... You're willing to share whatever you're thinking, whatever you're feeling, whatever's going on in the moment. And it might not be true. It might not be good. 
Like that one coffee shop you should add, man. So good. It, it takes a level of humility to go, you got to go check this place out. And then that guy comes back and you go, dude, that was the worst cup of coffee I've ever had in my life. What are you talking about? That place sucked. Mm. You're an idiot. Yeah. Like, oh, crap, man. It was good to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you got bad taste in coffee. No. But you, do you know what I mean by that? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it takes a certain level of humility to actually share what you're interested in, to mm. share what you're excited about. Because anybody can poo-poo your idea and make you feel dumb. Yeah. Right? Oh, that's good for you, man, but not for me. I'm mm. above that. Right? So I, I just think, think I, don't, I don't know if I've ever heard anybody say that, that evangelism takes humility. Mm. But I think it does. Yeah, I'd agree with you on that. It, it does, because you, you have to, in that moment, you're not thinking about yourself. It's a displacement of my priorities, my emphasis. Is In that moment, I care more about sharing the good news with you that could change your forever eternity. Um, and I'm willing to look like a fool for that. Paul, even, I'm willing to be a fool for this. I'm willing, if I'm a fool, let me be a fool for the Lord. Um, and so I, I feel like you do definitely have to have that humility to step into uh, and live into a missionary mindset all the time. I'm, I'm okay with being foolish for the sake of Christ mm-hmm. and not protecting my reputation, or not protecting my image all of the time. Um, and that does, it, it takes a bit of humility. Yeah, and another piece of that, <clears throat> along, along the same lines, right? Um, evangelism isn't necessarily about you, right? Justin, you talked last Sunday in, in kind of talking about the judgment of, of Christ, right? The judgment seat where you're either heading towards Christ or away from Christ, right? And so sharing your faith, like, you know, we've talked in RMC, there should be a sense of, of urgency almost, not not panic necessarily, but this like, hey, there's a fixed day, right? Go out and go out and reap the harvest, like go out and, and you know, seek people, right? Share your faith, share this message in the hopes, like you were saying, Sam, that that they turn from that, that the Lord does something in that, because it's just, to me, it's, it's sad to have family members who don't know Christ. It's like, yeah, it'd be a lot more comfortable not to have those hard conversations at a family reunion or a Thanksgiving dinner, but fundamentally, my comfort doesn't go well for them if nobody ever does that, right? Yeah. Yeah. When I was growing up, they had like Saturday evangelism at the church. You would, a bunch of people would go to the church and they'd go door to door, knocking in neighborhoods, passing out flyers, inviting people to church. They had bus ministries. They had all kind of stuff. And I grew up, I think I, I think I, I think it's safe to say that I grew up hearing pretty much hellfire and brimstone sermons. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a direct correlation with preaching on hell and evangelism. Yeah. And I think that goes in the face of what we would hear as um, seeker-sensitive services or uh, attractional services, that basically you you know you win what is it you win more with honey than you win more something with honey than vinegar I think yeah, it is, w- yeah whatever it is I can't remember what you win with honey <laughs> catch more flies with honey yeah than yeah I, I'm not going after flies here bro <laughs> uh, but. And there, there is, we're, we're, of course, the gospel is good news, but it's good news against the backdrop of really bad news, mm-hmm. which is hell. Yeah. And you, you know, if you stop preaching on hell, it shouldn't be surprising that people start having a lukewarm reaction 
to the gospel. You know, and they stop having a they start having a lukewarm reaction to evangelism. But man, if I really believe that my neighbors are going to hell, I mean that that motivates me. Right. If I really believe my loved ones are going to hell, that motivates me to make the the family dinner a little awkward yeah. or or whatever it is. So, you know I mean? so what does it look like for the for the everyday Christian? Is it does it look like just kind of bringing this up right away, or do you want to build the relationship first? Yes, both. I think one of the things that stops people from evangelizing is the idea that there has to be a relational threshold in place. Mm. Like, I, and usually it's really high. I, and and I don't know if anybody could really pinpoint exactly where it is, but. Once I get to this point relationally, then I'll be ready to share the gospel. And you never know. Somebody's like, the Lord has worked it out where this person is ready to hear. They're eager to hear good news. And maybe you don't have that relational uh, equity already built up, but it's an opportunity the Lord presents. Um, and so in those moments, it, it takes some discernment to know, is this the right time to step in it and, and talk to this person about Jesus, to share the good news, to kind of... Um, draw connections of what they're going through and who Jesus is and how he can satisfy their longings. Um, so, but you, again, you don't want to do like this. What Justin said earlier is, is evangelism is often most effective when it's relationally rooted. So mm -hmm. there is some of that, but don't let the relationship, that threshold have to be so high before you get to sharing around, sharing the gospel, or you're never going to get to that point. Well, I think, I, I wonder if that threshold more often than not, isn't you, the Christian's comfort level. Right, you're looking for a magic, ambiguous point at which, hey, this is appropriate. I wonder if, a lot of times, it isn't. Well, I feel comfortable enough around this person so that I can share my faith. Yeah, but I think when you look at it too, like I mean, if you're really practicing the regular rhythms of following Christ and you're building the relationship, they're seeing some of those regular rhythms just pour out of you because it's not what you do, it's, it's who you are. You know, like if you think about sharing a meal, for some reason, like, I mean, some people don't pray, but when we're, you know, when we're practicing this on a regular basis in our house, we pray before we, before we eat, you know? So then they start catching on to some of those regular rhythms. They're like, okay, this is who this guy is. Mm -hmm. So sooner or later, those conversations are going to come automatically because it's a part of your regular rhythms. Yeah, Justin, you've said, and I'm sure you've said it over in Moline, live a life that demands a gospel explanation, right? These, these regular rhythms, why do you pray before a meal all the time, you know? Why, do you, why don't you do sports on Sundays? What are you doing? You know, mm -hmm. these, these kinds of things that set us apart as Christians to say, oh, why do your kids go to, to Morningstar, right? It's, that's a, a beautiful door to say, hey, this is why we do this thing. Yeah. Yeah, I think Sam's answer was correct. It's yes, both and. I do not think there needs to be some kind of... I think the problem with evangelism is that everybody wants to narrow it down to one method or mm -hmm. one mode. Yeah. And, you can all, and you can go to the Gospels and you can find proof for that method. But when you study the life of Christ, he had multiple methods, right? Yeah. And so you don't see any relational equity with this woman at the well, right? You don't see him building a relationship with her first and all this kind of stuff. It just, boom, it's an encounter. Mm -hmm. and, and so I think there's going to be moments where you have to be bold and share the gospel at your workplace, and you're going to have to say things that are going to offend people and hurt their feelings, and that can be evangelistic. Mm 
you don't know it, but somebody could be listening and going, whoa, that person's got guts. They really believe something. And they could come up afterwards and, uh, and ask you for the reason of the hope, the hope that you had. And I remember I'd share this story kind of, um, I think, in our MC training. I was on mission to this guy, uh, my CrossFit coach out in Omaha, <clears throat> and he was living with his girlfriend, and they had had a child together. And I, I didn't have any relationship with him other than he was my coach, and he was kind of closed off guy. So I couldn't get in. He couldn't meet for coffee, couldn't get a drink. Like I tried, and it was just like, yeah, yeah, whatever. You know, it just was no. And I, I realized the type of guy that he was. I could, I could pick up on some. I would just say some traditional masculinity in him that I didn't know where it was coming from. And yet I saw this discrepancy in his life. Like he's wanting to be this traditional masculine man. He, he really, he loved Lord of the Rings and Aragon and he loved some different authors that I had read, which depict kind of traditional masculinity. And so one day I just looked him in the face and said, dude, when are you going to make an honest woman out of that woman, out of her? <clears throat> and he looked me in the face and he was like, come here. And I was like, oh crap. <clears throat> he takes me off in the side room and he just begins to, dump his guts about you know how bad the relationship is and how broken it is and basically he doesn't know what he's doing you know it's not going well and I I presented the gospel to him right there and I told him you need to lay your life down like Christ did for the church that's what a real man does Jesus is the ultimate man Jesus tells us to lay our life down and then that it was like a few days later he's like hey I need to talk to you I'm like all right I did it like you did what I laid my life down like Christ in my church. And it worked. He said, it worked. It's been the best week of our, of our relationship. I'm like, all right, cool. And when you get married, you know, like, mm-hmm. I'm on to the next thing. But that, that, and later on, he came to faith and thanked me for my, that, that conversation. And then, I mean, that just started, you know, I started sending him books and all kinds of different things. I just started it. But <clears throat> that was evangelism. That was good news. That was a bold smack you in the face. This guy might hate you. Who do you think you are to say that kind of stuff to anybody? That was that approach. And quote unquote, it worked. So, and I've seen people that are convinced that the relational evangelism method is the best way or the only way. I see them pour their life into years worth of relationships with people and never get to sharing the gospel, never get to actually bringing brass tacks here. God wants to change you. Jesus died for you. So, you know, I, I, I don't know, man. I, I'm for both and, and I think the Bible's for both and. I think we see, I, see we, I think we see both and. I think, you know, the spirit, the spirit really does honor humility in our relationships, but he also honors boldness in our communication and just, you know, bring in that antithesis into our relationships. Choose you this day who you're going to serve. Yeah. Are you going to follow Jesus or not, man? Mm-hmm. Like, what are you doing, you know? Or, or somebody's life's falling apart. Like, yeah, because you're not walking with Christ, mm-hmm. you know? Like, I think that's, I think all of those are opportunities for evangelism. So for some people that are on, on mission to someone and they're, they're not being receptive to the gospel, like, should you just move on to another person or should you always be on mission to that person or, or what, what does that look like? 
I, I mean, I think that can, that can depend, um, can depend widely on the relationship, on the encounter. Um, I know in, in our story, you know, we have some, some messiness in our kids or Treve's mother's children and, and some of these things. And so we've seen in that, um, in both her and the man that she's with, she has hardened her heart to the gospel, but, but the man is, is warming to the gospel, you know, and that's kind of this, this persistence over the time, right, where he was closed off to it for a long time, and now he's starting to come to church and wanting to, to learn more about Christ and how to follow him and, and some of these things. And so it, it can depend, you know. Um, I think if you have, if you're outright rejected, I would say, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, when, when Jesus sends out the apostles for the first round of, of spreading the message, he talks about, you know, going to a town, if they accept you, stay with them as long as, as long as you will stay. If they, if they reject you, shake off your feet or shake off the dust of that town from their feet, right? And so I think that there's, there can be an element of that if somebody's just consistently like, you know, Jesus sucks and, and you know, all of this. I, I think there can be a point of wisdom where you're not being wise with your time yep. or if somebody is hostile where, where you might even be putting yourself in danger and I think you have license to, to shake off the dust from your feet and move on. Yeah, totally. I mean, I, I had um, a young man that I was discipling for a long time, and, and uh, he became hostile to the faith and antagonistic and <clears throat> would love to send me super long text messages at all hours of the day and then just want to get in text message battles back and forth. And I engaged as much as I could, and then it just became overwhelming and a distraction from my ministry and my family and my life. And so I literally, well, figuratively shook the dust off my feet, yeah. blocked him, told him I was going to block him, blocked him on all social media. And then honestly, like about a year ago, he tried to request me again on Facebook with no message, no nothing. And I just said, no, I just denied the friend request mm -hmm. because Jesus specifically says, don't throw pearls before swine. Yeah. So now listen, <clears throat> that's not talking about your child or your spouse right, right, or right. anybody, you know, <laughs> like, uh, but there's going to be, there's always a cost. There's always trade-offs. We are finite human beings. And so we cannot be fully open to everyone yeah. or fully available to everyone. And people will make you want to, and, and here's, the, here's the deal. The people, the most unhealthy people in the world will want to make you feel guilty about setting boundaries like that. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we shouldn't feel guilty about, about setting boundaries. Right. <clears throat> um, but yeah, it's going to be different for, for each relationship. There will be times where we just move on. We realize this is rocky ground. This is stony ground. This isn't fertile. I'm moving on uh, to, to fertile ground. Mm. I think there's another facet of humility in this where when you go into uh, an evangelistic encounter or you know this relationship that, that you're on mission to this person, it's not up to you to change them. It's not up to you to bring about their conversion. There, there might be, if you think of the, the long sequence of time, God might use you to provoke a thought mm -hmm. that five years later somebody else comes into their life yeah. and then stirs that up again. And God's all the time working at this person, but it's not necessarily writing on your shoulder. So there is, 
it's like, I can be done with this for now. I feel as if the Lord, I sense uh, the spirit is moving me along to focus on other ground to plant these seeds. Um, but not necessarily resigning that this person's forever hopeless, yeah. that God can still work in a way to bring somebody else along into their life yeah. to, to cultivate more, you know, mission relationship that'll, that'll ultimately gen- generate faith. Yeah, Paul said, I planted the seed, Apollos watered the seed. Like, Absolutely. There's yeah. different, God can appoint different people for different seasons for, for a person's life. God is ultimately sovereign. He's going to do it. <clears throat> but that brings up a good question. If God is sovereign then why do we have to do evangelism at all? Can't God save everybody he wants to save on his own? Well, God sovereignly appointed you to go and carry out the message. And so, yeah, God could, um, but one of the glories of being part of the church is we get swept up into God's mission. So the thing that God's about and working uh, the redemption of all things, he gets to pull his, or he chooses to pull his people into the same work and so it's a participation in God's activity that we get to participate. And so it's not a, it's not, I mean, if you think about mission as a task or like, oh man, I got to check this list and God's expecting me. I mean, we're looking at it all wrong. Like we get pulled into the family business and it's this glorious thing. It's a hard thing, mm-hmm. um, but it's a glorious thing to be part of the work that God's doing. And so I, we, we really need to guard ourselves from, from seeing it in a, a negative way or a restrictive way and really see it as an invitation to do the things that God himself is doing. It's, it's like a micro expression when Jesus says, I can only do the things that the Father that I see the Father doing. It's like, well, we're doing the thing that we saw Jesus doing. He, he was doing evangelism through his whole ministry. And we get to participate in that same thing. And it's a glorious thing. It produces glory everywhere we go. Mm. That's good. Yeah, so God is sovereign over the ends, just like he's sovereign over the means. And the means he's appointed is us, yeah. right? Human beings going to other human beings and telling them about the Savior, Jesus Christ, right? The God who became a human being. <clears throat> so are there any, um, what, do you guys have any, you know, advice? Do you guys have any go-tos? Like, how do you practice evangelism? Well, I think I got this last week between preparing for this podcast, reading up on this this chapter, a couple other uh, books I had been reading has really been poking at evangelism. And I'll be the first to confess that I'm I'm probably in the camp where evangelism doesn't come naturally for me. I'm, I'm sort of an insular, leaning kind of guy. And so for God to work in my life, um, I have to really kind of put my preferences aside. I have to see my true identities in the gospel. And part of that is being a missionary. And, and even this yesterday, I was thinking about this. And this really is a change in a mentality of understanding that I am a missionary. It's not... Sam it's, didn't want to be the hypocrite on this podcast. I didn't. You know, <laughs> after <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> but yesterday, I went into... No, this is just how it works. Because I was thinking about it. I was thinking about it. And I was like, um, Lord, help me to, to really grasp this today. Help me to grasp my identity as a missionary and go into... I was going to the gym. And like within three minutes of getting to the gym, boom, a faith conversation opens up. I'm talking about church, talking about the gospel, inviting people to come along. And so it's like, if I just go into places thinking, I go there as a missionary and I'm aware of what the Spirit's doing, that, that's going to make me way more sensitive and, and open to the opportunities, those doors that the Lord opens for me to step up and courage and speak about Jesus. And so I, to, for me, 
It's like, I can't get around the idea. If, if I forget my identity as a missionary, then I'm not going to, I'm not going to evangelize. Yeah. But if that's central in my life, if I have, if I look through my life through the lens of a missionary, then it's just, those things are going to open up. And I have to, I have the responsibility to step into those in faith and say, yeah. Lord, this is uncomfortable for me. This is not my natural bent, but I'm going to do it because you tell me to do it. And you tell me there's joy in this. And so I'm going to step out. So it's, for me, it's just having that in front of my face the whole time. Not so much about the technique, but I mean, anybody else can chime in about here's, here's how I do it. That's good. I mean, I'm, I'm the person for sure. Like I, I don't like to close my mouth, so I talk a lot. <laughs> so like I'm on the opposite scale. I'm, um, being an extrovert. Um, but a lot of times, like we talk about spiritual disciplines, I like to be disciplined in my regular rhythms of life. So I'm, I'm always waking up early, going to the gym. I'm always going to the same stores, this, all the same things. I'm, I'm coaching a lot of the same kids, all the different things. So like, I like to keep the, my regular rhythms so that I'm very intentional about building the relationships with the people that I see in those same places and, and sharing the gospel. So what I normally do for regular rhythms. Yeah, similar, similar. You know, if, if you're the first to admit, I'm probably the second. I also tend to be, surprise, surprise to everybody here, quiet. Um, but I've found it, it's so bizarre because anytime, you know, as I, as I realize this and, and seek the Lord, say, you know, Lord, open the door, give me an opportunity, give me eyes to see these conversations. I've noticed for me, without fail, same kind of putting on that identity, it's like, hey, you go to the coffee shop, and then, oh, look, there's there's somebody reading a book about philosophy. It's like, oh, well, that, you know, opens an avenue. And so really, and, and we say it, you know, living with gospel eyes, right? Living with eyes to see what's going on. Basically, just paying attention to the world around you, you know? Mm-hmm. And like Tate, similar rhythms, same restaurants, you know? There's a group of ladies in our MC who go to a restaurant in town, and they they will request the same waiter, you know, they're, they're on mission to this guy. And so that has led to some great conversations and, and invitations to church. And, and again, a recognition that the Lord is working. And so simply living a life intentionally. And I would say, as we've, as we've been working through these disciplines, everything kind of rises, I would say rises and falls on being in the word, being in prayer, being in worship, right? And so if you feel like you're a lousy evangelist, what's your scripture reading look like? You know, what's your engagement in the Sunday gathering look like? What do your prayers look like? Because these, these are, are some of the things that, that shape how we see the beginning of the podcast, how we look at ourselves, how we look at God. And then out of that identity, that, that realization, where does that send us? Yeah, that's the, one of the first things I would say to somebody if they're not very good at mission or evangelism is what does your prayer look like? And, and specifically I would say, where are you like, what does your prayer in missional community look like? Yes. Because missional community is the place where we've all agreed. Everyone here is here to be a missionary. Yes. And so if you're coming together on a Tuesday night, Wednesday night, whatever, and you're not praying for people, if you're not bringing real people before the throne of grace that need Jesus, then what are you doing? Mm. You, you might be a community group. You might have, your, your group might have morphed into a community group or a fellowship group or a care group or something, but it's might be losing its missional zeal. Mm-hmm. You should be bringing real people before the Lord in prayer, naming them mm-hmm. 
in your missional community and asking God to, to save them, asking God to give you opportunities. I once read a book on prayer, and, and there, I don't even remember who it was, but <clears throat> there was a, a line in there that said something like, what if God refused to do anything tomorrow except answer your prayers? How would you pray today? Hmm. Right? Man, I'd be praying for my kids. I'd be praying for my wife. I'd be praying for myself. I'd be praying for the pastor. I'd be praying for the church. I'd be praying for my neighbors. Like if tomorrow, I mean, this is not reality, right? God's not limited to do only what we pray, but he, he tells us to pray for these things, right? We would always be praying. Yeah, we would always be praying. You know what I mean? you don't want to leave nobody out, you know? Yeah, you wouldn't. So sometimes maybe we're failing at evangelism because first and foremost, we're failing at prayer. We're just not asking God. Paul prays, you know, often in his letters, you know, I thank God for you. I'm praying for you. I never, I never cease to remember you in all my prayers. Right. And I think that's a key, that's a key aspect of mission that we're actually asking God to do the work that we can't do. Yeah. And then we've, we've already talked about this, but we've called it a lot of things. We call it having gospel eyes. You could say having a Christian worldview. You could say having a God awareness. Yeah. I think many re- reasons why people fail at evangelism <clears throat> is because they still buy it. They, they, it. Now, they wouldn't know this, but they're Gnostic when they get down. If you really get down to the philosophy or their worldview, they're Gnostic. And Gnosticism teaches that there's a great separation between the physical and the spiritual, that the physical is bad and the spiritual is good, that there's a huge separation between the sacred and the secular. And so when I go to Sunday morning or I go to missional community, my missional community gathering, I'm doing something spiritual. I'm doing something Christian. And so I know, okay, now I need to engage those spiritual aspects of my personality or my personhood. or my, Now's when I turn the Bible me on. Now's when I turn in the Christian me on. But then when I go to the job site or when I go to the school or I go into the marketplace, I've bought into the sacred secular divide. So, and I've bought into the the secular philosophy that has taught me that you leave your religion at home. Mm, it's like a switch. This is this is the plural we we're mm-hmm. stepping into a pluralistic world here where you leave your faith and your values at home and we're, you're stepping into the world of fact and work and all these different things and you somehow separate yourself. And that is an unhealthy unbiblical understanding of the self. It's an unbiblical understanding of the world. It's an unbiblical understanding of the marketplace and whatever it is that we are to be, the word integrity means to be the same all the way through. So I should be the same person at the gym as I am in the pulpit. Right. Right? Or when I'm at home. And I think many times we suck at evangelism because as soon as we step into the, or we get into the car to go to work, in our minds, the secular me is headed to work. Yep. And that's, you're, you're, you're dividing yourself into unhelpful pieces instead of being whole. Yeah. That's where you get into the pretending and you're wearing so many masks that you forget who you even are. And I think when we, we, we look at that, and I think a lot of people, you know, they just, oh, that's not my personality. That's not who I am. I'm, I don't think I want to touch those type of areas. But when, when it gets down to it, it's like if you're really viewing... Um, that that's not you. You're you're viewing God as a small God, and as if He can't 
change hearts and, and, and change who you are to be able to line up with his will. So, yeah. Any other thoughts? I think that's good. What are uh, your thoughts on evangelism, questions on evangelism? We'd love to hear them. Of course, we've only scratched the surface on evangelism. We'd love to go deeper if you want us to. So send us your uh, emails, send us your questions. Uh, One of the best things that we do at Sacred City, and uh, again, missional communities that struggle with evangelism should do it, is we do what we call post-it note nights. And what we do is we literally get a stack of post-it notes, pass it around to everybody, and we say, we want you to write down two to three names of people that are outside the faith or need to be discipled, who uh, you're in relationship with that you want to see God do something in their life. And we want you to write down their name, and we want you to write down their next step in discipleship. Mm-hmm. And we're going to go around the circle, and you're going to say your name, you're going to stick these on the wall or wherever you're going to put them on a whiteboard, you're going to you're going to stand up and kind of present these people where they're at, who they are, what you know of them, and what their next step in discipleship is. And that is just like, what do you mean their next step in discipleship? They're not believers yet. We believe discipleship starts at the point of relationship, not the point where they get converted. And so a person's next step in discipleship might be to come to the Sunday gathering, might be to have them over for dinner, might be to share, actually share the faith with them, might be to have counseling session with them, might be to help them out with something at their work, or it might be to eat lunch with them, might be to help them with their car or their brakes. All of those things can be the next step of discipleship. But again, what it does is it, it helps us reframe our thinking around our identity as missionaries, that God is bringing these people into our life for us to have a relationship with them, to disciple them, to, to, to lead them to Christ. So man, if, if your missional community is stalled out, I'd encourage you to have encourage your, ask your leaders, can we have a post-it note night, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And maybe you and your wife need to do it, you know, at home. Post-it note, who's in our orbit? Who do we know that, that God could be, God could have moved these people in for us to be in relationship with them, for us to share the gospel with them? And yeah. what's their next step in discipleship? I think the key too with that is, it's what, what's their next step, but also like, it's a part of your next step sure. with them. You know, because a lot of times we're just like, yeah, we're going to pray to God that they come to church. Like, no, you you need to invite them. Yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's a part of My it. evangelism <laughs> strategy, God, give them a vision. <laughs> right. Put sacred city in their mind. For sure. Yeah. The next time I come to them, let, the, let them fall down their knees and say, what must we do to be saved? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. So more than likely, it's going to take our effort, our conversation, our reaching out. So. All right, guys, hopefully this was helpful for you. If you've got any questions, email me at justindean at sacredcitychurch.com or you can email sam at sam at sacredcitychurch.com. We love you. We're praying for you. God bless. Mm-hmm.